You're listening to the Ecclesia of Noonan Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to show your support, find out more information, check out our website, ecclesianoonan.com. So, here we are um, at this wonderful intersection of moving out of the theology that Paul has given, right? The belief. And this is the end here. This is all theologically that Paul has to offer um, this, this group of Christians at Ephesus. And so uh, that is, that's where he's at at this time. Uh, next week he'll get into the so what. And, and, and please note that next week will be demands. They will not be suggestions. They will be uh, a, a biblical ethic, a, a kingdom ethic. You could relate it to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. This is what a Christian looks like, right? But before he gets there, he's going to just, he's going to just nail up and shore up everything uh, that he said here. In his conclusion, he, he, he ends on these themes, and, which is our passage today. The love of God, the indwelling spirit of God, and strength in the inner being. Okay? So these are kind of the themes of today. This is, so this is the wrap-up. This is the theological wrap-up of what he's doing. And so the themes are the love of God, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and the strength of the inner man. Okay? That, uh, that is what's in view today. Now, I don't know if you feel lost at times. And I don't mean spiritually lost. I mean just lost in any number of ways, right? Uh, if you do, today there is no better doctrine to give you than the indwelling Christ and to anchor you into a location uh, where God lives in you. I don't know if you're discouraged by the loveless society in which you think you live. I, I can think of no better place to uh, point you than to a passage like this where the text says the church, it, it, the church is solid foundation. The, the church's solid foundation is to be rooted in love. And, and, and then to root that love not in your ability, but in God's faithfulness. And, and to show you God's love for you and for everyone around you. Uh, lastly, in terms of strength, um, if, if, if you're a human being, you know what it means to live in weakness. Uh, you know how discouraging it is to feel like a failure or to have no success, to have no leg up, to not live victorious, to feel defeated, to feel weak, to be without strength and all of these things, right? And here this passage gives you hope because what it does is it, 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 it is the end of a prayer why, by which Paul is saying, um, God is here in his resurrection power to strengthen your inner man, to make sure that you don't live defeated for another day of your life, and for you to recognize uh, exactly God's power in you. So just like every other day today, is a day of reckoning, a 
biblical Lord's Day of Reckoning, just like every Sunday, where you get to unlearn this week or this month what the world told you about inner strength and learn about what God says about inner strength. You get to unlearn what the world says about love, and you get to learn what God says about love. Today, you get to unlearn what um, God says about the relationship and the position of God to humanity and what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit of God indwelling you every day for the rest of your life. You get to unlearn all that. And you get to hit the reset button. You get to walk out fresh and go, that's, that's the way God wants me to think about these things. This is the way God wants me to believe about these things. Um, and so I hope that uh, you are as encouraged um, by his word as uh, I feel like probably Paul was writing it there in that jail cell full of hope. Um, and as much as I've had joy uh, studying it this week. Okay, so there are four petitions in these four verses. And, and a, a petition is just a part of prayer. It's, it's something where you ask for God for something, right? You're, 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 you're making a request, right? And so Paul has four petitions. Here are the four petitions. You can write this down um, because you can come back to these, and these are kind of the center there um, as far as all that's concerned. Okay, so first petition, to be strengthened with power in your inner man, right? To be strengthened with power in your inner man. That's the first petition. Um, and, of course, Paul's praying. Um, Paul's praying for the Ephesian believers to be uh, strengthened with power in your inner man. This is a great thing for you to pray for yourself. It's a great thing for you to pray for your spouse. Uh, it's a great thing for you to pray for your children. It's a great thing for you to pray for your parents, uh, that they would be strengthened in their inner man with power, resurrection power. Number two, so the second petition, uh, is that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Paul is praying that the Holy Spirit would indwell uh, the Ephesians because of uh, saving faith in Christ, okay? Number three, that believers, he's asking God, that believers would know the love of God. That believers would know the love of God. God. And number four, that believers would be filled with all the fullness of God. That believers would be filled with all the fullness of God. Okay, so we've already preached last week, verse 16, so we're not going to spend a ton of time, but we do need to touch down on it again today because contextually it is uh, attached to and so important to both the previous passage and the current passage. Uh, so this is what it says, verse 16. Uh, if you're taking notes, verse 16 in this first point would be fortification of the inner man. Fortification of the inner man, and we talked about fortification of the inner man last week. We're not going to improve on that. Uh, it, it, it is what it is. It is the strengthening up, the shoring up, the foundation of the inner man given by God in strength, in resurrection power. The text says that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Last week we talked about, and we'll talk about again, who is the source of strength? Is it you? 
You're supposed to drum up your own willpower, your own determination. You're going to get up and do your morning routine and just be that person who gets everything done because you're such a productive human being within and of yourself, and you have all strength within and of yourself to do for yourself uh, because of yourself whenever uh, you want to. No, no, it doesn't work like that. That's humanism. Humanism is the beginning, the middle, the end, <clears throat> the means of its own self. And it doesn't work like that, right? Uh, you have a source, and that source of strength is God. And if you forget that, then you're going to be lost in a world where you're constantly beating yourself up because you don't think you're strong enough, not living within the prime reality and the truth that you know that you're not strong enough. God, God, God made you weak. God made you uh, in his image, but greatly dependent on himself. Your life is not meant to be, meant to be lived separated from the life of God. Uh, your life is not meant to have arrived in your own strength. Finally, here I am. Uh, no, even the most mature Christian is deeply in need of God's constant strength. Uh, something else that, that we learn here that, that we noticed last week was the text says that he may grant you to be strengthened with the uh, with power through his spirit. And we, we talked about the fact that this strengthening of the inner being is is nothing we drum up because the text says that we're granted it, right? We're, we're granted something. Um, you're given something. God gives you strength. You don't drum up your own strength. Now, does the Bible say be strong? Yes, it does. We, we quoted all those texts last week where the Bible looks at Christians and says, be strong. And yet, the human responsibility to obey the command to be strong is not at odds with verses like this, which say, God grants strength. Is it? Are those at odds? Certainly they are not. Uh, God is your great strength, right? Um, and that is, that is true. So Paul is praying for Christians to be strong in their inner man, uh, for them to be strengthened, but there's a, there's, a, there's a purpose, there's an end to which they need to be strong. They don't need to be strong for strength's sake. They need to be str strong for a purpose, and that brings us to verse 17. Uh, verse 17, the, 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 the point here is the indwelling Christ. So if you're taking notes, verse 17, title, uh, the indwelling Christ. Listen to this. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. Okay, verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. So what is this, this through faith stuff? What, what, what is all of this? Um, you are saved by faith alone, right? A and faith is a gift. Uh, it is also an, an action or a practice, but it is also a gift to you. And that is made perfectly clear um, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is a gift of God, right? Not of works, lest any man should boast. Uh, another verse that I want you to do, I want you to turn with me. If you'll just turn over to Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. We're going to look at faith, saving faith. Uh, years ago we preached as a church all the way through the book of Galatians. And it was an awesome journey together. 
very beneficial spiritual journey together. We're going to just take a look at this verse about faith and saving faith uh, before we kind of move on to the doctrine of God indwelling uh, you. Uh, so Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, Paul says to many churches at Galatian, uh, in Galatia, he's not writing to one, but many, yet we know that a person is not justified, that is declared not guilty, and declared righteous, by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Some texts there say the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, but by, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So Paul's prayer here, Paul's petition, Paul's praying in jail, okay? He's not just kind of, um, you know, writing these things down and not praying them, right? Um, have you ever said something to someone, but really you weren't saying it to them? You were just, you were saying it within an earshot of someone else so that they would hear it? That's not really kind, is it? Or direct. It's a little bit passive, isn't it? Uh, that's exactly what Paul's not doing here. Paul's not just kind of saying something and saying something to someone else. No, Paul's praying to God. And yet he's making his prayers known to them. And part of the prayer is, hey, uh, my, my prayer is that um, you that Christ would dwell in your hearts because of your faith. Um, uh, and so I, I don't know if you can think of the time that you that you first believed, where you had faith in and love for Jesus Christ. That moment when you actually trusted Him, and you looked at your life and you thought. And you looked at your plight, you looked at the bad news and the good news, and you thought, well, here it is, right? Um, but it is a glorious, glorious thing, the new birth, truly. Your new birth, anybody else's new birth, um, <clears throat> and, and to watch it happen. Um, <coughs> do you get that new heart, and with that new heart, what do you do? You believe. You believe. Where you didn't believe before, dead hearts don't believe, but living hearts do, and uh, that's what you do. It is important for us now at this point to ask ourselves, and a verse talking about Christ dwelling in our hearts through faith, is to ask ourselves, are we in the faith? And to re-examine other verses which talk about the indwelling spirit and faith. Uh, Paul wrapped up his correspondence with the Corinthians this way. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, if you're taking notes, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, this is what he said about his faith. He said to these Corinthians that were having so many problems, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. And not just in the faith, but in faith at all, right? Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, he asks. Do you not see this, right? And, and, and you need to examine yourselves, because if you're not in the faith, then Christ is not in you unless indeed you fail to meet the test. So, who strengthens the inner man? Who strengthens you on your foundational level, on the deepest human level, the inner of the innermost man? Uh, the part that you can't get to, you don't know much about, right? Or at least you think you know yourself best, and oddly we don't. That's, that's God. Who, who strengthens that part? God does, but particularly the indwelling Christ, right? The indwelling Christ lives in you. Here's a, here's a, a good principle for you. The churches 
foundation, as I mentioned to you before, and we'll say it again. The church's foundation and nourishment is found in the indwelling Christ. When God uh, laid out to believers and said, you've been given everything that you need for life and godliness in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, part of what he meant when he was talking about the fact that you have been given every resource is the indwelling Christ. That, that, that you have a new address for the rest of your life. New location whereby you live for the rest of your life. And that address is God's permanent residence. God has made his dwelling place, your own body, in a mysterious spiritual turn of events. Mysterious spiritual turn of events. This is unknown to Old Testament believers. God the Holy Spirit is with people. They don't, in Mass, talk about uh, God being in people, right? But here, um, the news for you is that every single day for the rest of your life, if you are a Christian, God the Holy Spirit, and in this case here, uh, as they speak, uh, the indwelling Christ, the Spirit of Christ, lives in you. Long after you've forgotten this sermon, Christ will still be living in you. When you finish your lunch today, Christ will be living in you. When the alarm clock goes off in the morning, Christ will be living in you. At the worst part of your upcoming week that you have no idea what is coming, Christ will be living in you. On the day of your retirement, God is going to be living in you. And when you fall asleep tonight, while you have no conscious thought, God still makes you his home. That is a precious thought. Precious. R.C. Sproul said, perhaps, <clears throat> and of course, if you know Sproul, you know how doctrinally oriented the man was and what a great revolution he set within the Reformed Church um, to set their course on, on a good path and to contribute to that path. But he said, the Lord's presence and his indwelling is probably the, personally the sweetest doctrine to me. What I find uh, the sweetest personally. And it is. And yet it's not just a feel-good uh, you know, sort of greeting card for you, is it? It's, it's the cause of your own strength. You're strengthened by the Christ who indwells you. And, and in Paul's praying, Paul's praying that by faith, these, peop these people would be indwelled by Christ. And if indwelled by Christ, then he says, rooted in love. Rooted in love. So here's the thing. If God truly indwells you, then what does the inner man look like? That's what we're talking about. We're talking about being strengthened with the inner man. We're talking about the Holy Spirit living inside of you. So if he does live inside of you, then what does that look like? What does it look like? Well, for the Christian, that is a complicated question because of Romans chapter 7 and the two natures, right? We have these, we have these wills that are fighting one another, right? We have the old heart, we have, excuse me, we have an old man, right? It's the sin nature, which 
uh, has been paid for, right, but is not yet eradicated until we die, right? Um, and here we have the new man, right? And these things are just fighting at one another. But, but, but what does it look like when God takes up real estate in your heart? Well, Paul says here in his petition, in his request, would you make them be rooted in love? I think probably a better place to go if we're talking about the spirit indwelling you, if we're asking what does it look like, then the place that we've got to go is the fruit of that spirit, right? Because we're not talking about the fruit of you. We're talking about the fruit of the spirit. Now, the creativity of Christ is that the fruit of the spirit looks different within every created being, and that's the beauty of Christ. That's the genius, the genius of the diversity in which God makes it. Um, but the truth is, is that you have been crucified with Christ. You do no longer live, and Christ, Galatians 2.20, does live within you. And the life that you now live, you live by the faith of the Son of God or the faithfulness of the Son of God who loved you and died, died for you. So the Spirit has taken up residence in your heart, in your life. That's the new dominating force, and this is the fabric of the inner man. It's strengthened, it's rooted in love, but this is also what it is in terms of the fruit of the Spirit. If you're taking notes, I would encourage you to uh, jot down that, that, that very famous passage, Galatians chapter 5, it starts there in verse 22 and follows on. Galatians chapter 5, it starts in verse 22, and then it, it proceeds. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Rooted in love is what he said. I want you to be rooted in love, but the fruit of the Spirit begins with love, joy, peace, patience. That's what the inner man looks like. Kindness, goodness, the inner man faithful gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Verse 24. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh, that's the sinful heart, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Verse 26. Excuse me, verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Paul is begging for God to make the believing believer in faith, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, to be truly rooted in love and and to make the fruit of the spirit its its reality and yet on the inside why is there so much chaos so much sin so much darkness so much battle so much confusion right rather than by the way there's a there's a new humanity a new humanity that God has made, right? And that is, in fact, what chapter 3 has been all about. The, the, the recreation of a new humanity where Jew and Gentile are one. It's a mystery. And yet, what does the new humanity look like? What does new hum, hum, humans, what do they do? 
Well, they, they live like this. Paul's next petition comes in our next point, verses 18 and 19. Uh, so this is 18 and 19a. 18 and 19a are the verses. The point is to know the love of God. And here's the third petition. This is the third request. Paul says, make them know God's love. Right? This is what verses 18 and 19 say. May have strength to comprehend. Notice that it's not individual, but with all of the saints. It's communal. With all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. God has sent his spirit into your life, into your soul, into your body to know what you have not previously known, and that is the great love of God, and to experience what you have not previously experienced, and that is the great love of God. There is an, incom there's an incomprehensibility about God's love. There is a, a magnitude where it's so big. And that, that's what Paul, Paul's just, he's, he's, he's looking for adjectives, right? There's been a lot of speculation on why these particular adjectives and what he's doing. But one thing is for sure. He's searching for adjectives to try to show the vastness of God's love. He's not the first one to look for big words to try to show how big God's love is. But the idea here, it, it would seem that that love is central in Paul's thought here. That people, if they just saw how much God loved, then there would be something in their lives and that the Spirit would bear, bear out love. Or as First John chapter 4, verse 19 says, we love because he first loved us. Maybe you know the hymn, uh, sung of old, the love of God is greater far than tongue or man could ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star. It reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down in care. God gave his son to win. His erring child he reconciled and parted, pardoned from his sin. Could we with ink the ocean fill? Were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill? Would every man a scribe by trade to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry? Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. The love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong, it shall forevermore the saints and angels song. Paul's not the only one who's scrapping for adjectives and stretching the English language and stretching the English mind to understand just how great God's love is. And here's what's crazy. The Bible says that God's love has been poured out in your heart. <coughs> So God's, Paul's prayer is that you would be rooted in love and that you would have strength to understand, right? That you would see maybe what you don't see, right? If you have the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. That's kind of the idea, right? So you, you're rooted in love, but do you, do you see it? Like, like, do you see what's going on? Do you have the strength 
Do you have the faculty, the mental faculty, the soul comprehension to understand really what God has done here in his love? Romans 5, 5. And hope does not put us to shame, but God's love has been poured out into our hearts. How? Through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. What does it look like to have God living in you tomorrow with all of your demands, with all of your tasks, with all of the people that you have to talk to, with all the phone calls and the duties and the foregone to-do lists in your life, what does it look like to have God living inside of you? It looks like renewed strength, a new mind, rooted in divine love. Not your own love, right? Not your own love. Not your own conditional, selfish, self-serving love, uh, but uh, in fact, God's love. And of course, out of that heart of love uh, that's in us comes great obedience. And that's really what, what, what Paul's going to get to here. And he's just going to say, well, this is, this is what you need to do now. Um, and, and Jesus said it this way in, in the gospel of John chapter 14, verse 15, if you love me, well, then you'll, you'll keep my commandments, right? Paul is deeply obedient to Jesus Christ and will do and wants to do everything that God asks him to do, even though it costs him his better health and his very own body and eventually his own life. He's going to do it. Um, he's going to obey. Which brings us to the last petition, and that is the end of verse 19. And your last point here is 19b, uh, and, and the, the title there can just be fullness. Fullness. So let's just read this. This idea of fullness um, is a little confusing, or it could be, but it's one that, that Paul, at least with the book, of F, uh, the book to uh, the Ephesian Christians, is important to him. He's saying actually this over and over again. He actually, he actually kind of stopped this prayer talking about fullness back in chapter 1 and verse 23. Then he started talking about salvation and redemption. And then he got into chapter 3 and he kind of digressed in his prayer. When he, now he's coming back to his prayer, now he's praying again about fullness. And if you fast forward into chapter 4, verse 13, in, in our book, chapter 4, verse 13, he starts talking about fullness again until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Chapter 5, verse 18. Here's another reference in our own, in our own book here, in our own letter, to fullness and filling. And do not be drunk with wine, verse 18, chapter 5. And do not be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. We don't need to mince words about drunkenness, do we? But be filled with the Spirit. So if you're going to be filled with something, don't. Or if you're going to be intoxicated with something, don't make it wine. Make it the Spirit of God. So let me ask you a question. What is it that you're full of? I, I think probably just pastorally taking a look at this verse and this concept, the best way to get to the meaning of it is to ask you that simple question. What is it that you're full of? The Bible says you're full of the presence of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 
verses 18, 19, and 20 say that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. What are you full of? You full of anxiety? You full of insecurity? You full of doubt? You full of worry? Are you full of anger? What is it that, that, that you're full of? And I think the proper answer to that question, as you're searching for all the answers, hopefully not justifying what you're full of, but really getting down to it, the right answer that you need to answer that you need to give when you ask this question to your own self or asked it again is this: I am filled with the Holy Spirit of God. I think that's the good answer. I'm filled with a God who is committed to rooting me in love and to change me from being the mess of a man that I was, the mess of a woman that I was, into an individual who is strengthened in their inner man, full of hope, full of love, full of the Holy Spirit of God and all his fruit I'm full of God. That's that's what I'm full of. I think that's the proper answer. So forget not, friends, that when God gives you a new heart, you get a new address. You don't have to live at the locations of darkness whence you once lived. You don't have to live there anymore. So um, next week, we um, will talk about what God is doing in the life of believers. That, that, that's, that's kind of the idea. And of course, we're talking about what God is doing in the life of believers, chapters 4, 5, and 6, because of what God has done in his victory, in his gospel, in his cross, in verses and chapters 1, 2, and 3. Your, your growth, your spiritual growth, your maturity is a means and work of the Holy Spirit of God. Uh, living inside of you. Uh, if you could do these things by yourself, all by yourself, if you could just muster them up, if you and you alone could muster them up and do them, then God would not have ascended on high and then sent the Holy Spirit because he would have resurrected from the dead and just said, well, you've got this on your own, don't you? I'm out of here. But he didn't do that. He ascended and he said, it is better for me to go so that I can send you the helper, the advocate, the comforter, the indweller, the convictor, the Holy Spirit of God, the the one who strengthens you and roots you in love, the one who tells you who you really are when your flesh and the world and the devil fill your mind and heart with 10,000 things that you aren't. This is what the Spirit does, and that's the reason that he, He ascended. So you can't manufacture your own righteousness. You can't. But you are certainly called to obey out of a heart of love. You sure are. Um, Well, I hope that you've been encouraged. Um, And maybe if if nothing else, perhaps, you've just seen um, these themes. And I hope they rattle around in your head and your heart and that you could be encouraged by them. Uh, I am a firm believer.
believer with all my soul, just like I believe that the sun is blazing outside the day, that the spoken word of God transforms hearts and minds. I believe it. I believe it more than uh, more than I believe anything. You, you would better likely convince me that the sun is not shining outside than to tell me that God's word um, returns void because I, I don't believe that it does. I think that it does good work um, in, in our lives, and so I hope that it has done that work in you. Um, so we're going to take the Lord's table, uh, and I'm going to ask Christian if he'll help me uh, today serve you the Lord's table. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to take. Okay, let's pray together. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for this opportunity to come as believers, as Christians who love you, and to partake in this table, to see elements, symbols of your sacrifice, and to remember the gospel again, to see grace poured out in front of us through a person. And for us to um, be leveled by it, centered and balanced, God, by the truth that it brings. Lord, would you bring us to this table confessing our sin, God, and rejoicing because of the great victory of God in the resurrection. And so, God, we pray that we would live lives of prayer like Paul and sacrifice like Christ this day. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Ecclesia of Newton Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to show your support, find out more information, or hear more like this, check out our website, ecclesianewton.com.